Okay, we're going to start here. Find your seat. Find your seat. We are in week six here, so we've got this week and then I think three more. And so we'll be wrapping some, some thoughts up, dealing with sin, part two. This morning we'll wrap that up and keep moving forward and then we'll have, I think we're going to have a couple weeks of a break um, because Jeremy Pitsley is going to be with us in an equipping hour and then also um, Pastor Mike is going to kind of do a Uganda update. And so I think we have this week, next week, and then two off and then we'll come back and finish with two more, okay? And that's when we'll, we'll really deal with um, that uh, Esther Smith book, I think that's her name. And so we'll, we'll recap that. There's some notes on the back, I think. I got in a little late, so hopefully there's enough there. Let me pray. We'll do some review, and then we'll, we'll move forward. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, your kindness to us. Thank you for your love and mercy. Um, Lord, just as of late, just being reminded of your patience with us. Thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Um, what a comfort that is, um, that you are not easily um, provoked to anger and wrath as we are so much um, and so often in our lives. We're unstable and you are ever faithful and ever good to your wayward people. Um, Lord, I just pray this morning that it would be profitable, that just this wouldn't be uh, a time of intellectual um, engagement, but that it would be something that improves our walk with you, um, that it would affect our hearts and our will, our desire to um, help ourselves according to your word and also help others. Lord, I pray that this would be a profitable time um, as we continue to think about um, dealing with sin, confessing it, godly grief and worldly grief. Lord, help us to please you in all that we say and do. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So as always, I want to do a little bit of review. Um, I don't I don't make any you know, apologies for that. I think it's good in the Christian life. So many times we just need to be reminded of stuff we've always known or we've heard before. I mean, just need to be reminded again. I think this whole class would think again we're learning how to handle ourselves, how to not let the self run away. Um, you know, it goes back to talking to yourself rather than listening to yourself. That's oftentimes our problem is um, we're listening to ourselves rather than, than talking to ourselves. And so I love this quote from... Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, he's talking about Psalm 42. We looked at that passage, Psalm 42.5 in particular. Very briefly at this point, the first thing we have to learn, that's what the psalmist learned, we must learn to take ourselves in hand. We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Have you realized most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? And that's really what this class has been about, learning to talk to ourselves rather than, than listen. We talked about sin being the number one cause, I think, of introspection leading to spiritual depression. Um, we looked at, you know, maybe it's something you did before you came to Christ, before you were a believer, or um, even after you came to Christ as a Christian, something like that you're stuck with, um, and you just can't get out of your own mind, and, you know, that's that problem, is you're just stuck with some sin. And I reminded us again, we're in the fight of faith, right? It was intentional. We started that week, too, because, I mean, that's, that's where we got to start. We're in this conflict, and we're fighting together, and we're fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we're helping one another in that struggle. Um, I've argued that the, the cause of that condition could certainly be satanic forces, right? World, flesh, the devil. 
Um, but more often than not, um, the cause is our failure to work out and apply the doctrine of the gospel. Like that, that's typically the problem, um, is we're listening to ourselves rather than preaching the gospel to ourselves. And so Lloyd-Jones had another really good quote in there. You know, this person struggling with, hey, this sin that I've committed, regardless of before you were a Christian or after, some sin has got you down. I love this quote. Let me put this plainly and bluntly in order that I may emphasize it, even at the risk of being misunderstood. There is a sense in which the one thing that these people who are in this condition must not do is to pray to be delivered from it. You must stop praying at times because your prayer may just be reminding you of the problem and keeping your mind fixed upon it. So you must stop praying and think. Work out your doctrine, right? You know, stop saying, Lord, please take these, these thoughts from me or something like that. You need to go back and think about the gospel and tell yourself, hey, this is what's true. This is who I am. This is who I am in Christ. All right? And so I think typically that's the problem uh, of introspection is failing to preach the gospel to ourselves. Went through numerous New Testament passages. Um, if you missed that week, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen last week. Really important. Um, all these New Testament passages. We had a pop quiz. Right? Did you sin as an unbeliever? Yes, you did. What should you do about it? Well, you should preach the gospel to yourself. Well, will you sin as a believer? Yes. What should you do about it? You preach the gospel to yourself. So regardless of where you are on that spectrum, the answer is still the same. Um, and how you apply the gospel to your thinking might be a little different. Um, and that's where we left off at 2 Corinthians 7. Right? 2 Corinthians 7, a really helpful passage dealing with um, our thoughts, our sorrow, the difference between godly grief and worldly grief, which we're going to talk about this morning. Right? Verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. You've got godly grief on one side and then on the other side, whereas worldly grief produces death. So I reminded us it's important in context. Remember, Paul is rebuking a church of believers, right? These aren't rank unbelievers, you know, just not even professing Christ. No, these are believers. And he's saying, hey, you need to repent from the sin and turn and get back on the, you know, the straight and narrow path, we should say. Um, you need to um, respond rightly. They're grieved into repenting, right? They felt a godly grief that produced repentance, leading to salvation without regret. And this is essentially where we left off, right? Two different types of, of grief, godly grief and worldly grief. And we're examining the cause and effects of both, okay? So cause and effects, okay? Talked about godly grief last week. I'm going to just briefly recap that and then um, launch into to worldly grief, okay? Godly grief, remember 1 Corinthians 7, um, 8 through 11. Godly grief, it's literally grief according to God, okay? This is sorrow, um, being grieved over sin in accordance with God. This is godly. This is righteous. This is good, okay? This is what you want to do. The cause of this godly grief, right? I, I have it up here. Ultimately, it's brought about by the Holy Spirit. This is the effectual working of the Holy Spirit on our conscience, such that we're grieved as a result of our sin and we turn from it. It's not good that we sin. It is good when we have godly grief about that sin, right? That's the kind of grief that God wants you to have, a, a grief according uh, to the Holy Spirit because of sin. And then you have the effects, right? The effects of godly grief, and this is just, I'm just quoting 2 Corinthians 7.10, repentance that leads to salvation without regret, okay? This is where I went back to um, repentant people continue to repent, right? People who are in Christ continue to confess their sins. Um, they were saved, and they evidence their salvation by repenting of their sins, right? They go hand in hand, right? It's kind of the, you know, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Well, how do you know, you know you're in Christ? Well, do you persevere? 
And so we're continually praying, Lord, help keep me faithful. Um, produce that repentance that continues to lead salvation without regret. And so I, I would also add this. that I don't think you can separate the cause and the effects of godly grief. Um, you know, in other words, godly grief always produces the repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Does that make sense? Like they're not separate. Um, if it's brought about by the Holy Spirit, if it's genuine according to God, then it's going to lead to that repentance. Yeah, I don't think you can separate the, the cause and effects of, of godly grief. Um, I, I, yes? Yes? Yeah. Were you here last week? That's okay. We talked about that last week. That's okay. No, 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 it's okay. Um, the question is, I'm repeating this for the recording, the question, and for anyone in the room who didn't hear. Um, the question is, how do we understand regret in 2 Corinthians 7.10? Right? Repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Like, is he saying, like, what's going on there? And, Teresa, you're exactly right. He's not saying that you don't regret the sin anymore, right? True believers always regret that they have sinned, right? What's going on there is it's a repentance that leads to salvation that is not going, oh, man, that, that sin was kind of nice, actually, right? It's a repentance that's, no, I'm glad I'm done with that. I have no regrets over turning from that sin. Does that make sense? And he goes on in, second, I think it's verse 11. He says, see what earnestness this genuine godly grief has produced in you, what longing, what zeal, what um, indignation. In other words, genuine godly grief produces um, godly affections of a longing to get away from that sin. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes? Yeah. 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 That that's dealing. Yeah. That's more uh, sin that's unrevealed that we don't know of, um, which I think we'll we'll talk about that more this morning. But yeah, no. In context, there, what Paul is arguing is that genuine godly grief repents and turns from sin without regretting turning from that sin. It's a longing to to be rid of it. Yeah. Good question. Right, it's, it's not that you're looking back and like, ooh, that sin was nice. Man, I kind of wish I still had that. Yeah, 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 so we want to be careful on that. Yep, and so you have the cause and effects. I mentioned that. I also quoted Owen last week. He was real helpful for me in dealing with this, you know, kind of your standing in Christ. He talks about we can know what we're experiencing is godly grief if when we sin there's opposition and humiliation. And he's really drawing there on Romans 7 um, and Galatians 5. Um, you know, the spirit and the flesh, the desires are, are contrary to one another. Um, and he's arguing that meaning if, you know, when you sin, when you um, fall into temptation, if there's genuine, sincere, heartfelt opposition to that sin, no, I, I don't want to do that. And if there's genuine, sincere, heartfelt humiliation, you're grieved over that sin, um, that's actually proof that there's spiritual life within um, because there's, there's opposition to that sin and humiliation. Um, shame as a result of that sin. And so that's godly grief, okay? That was all review. Let's talk about worldly grief, okay? Worldly grief this morning. 2 Corinthians 8.10, if you're not there, excuse me, 7.10. Um, not 8.10, my notes are wrong here. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death, okay? That, that's literally all the verse says on that. We, we don't, it doesn't expand more on what that worldly grief looks like, okay? Um, Maybe a more literal or a wooden translation is what I like to say. Um, it's more of like sorrow, grief of the world. 
meaning the source of this sorrow is worldliness, okay? That's where this grief, this sorrow um, over sin comes from. It's not from God. It's actually from the world, the, the world system that is contrary um, to God. And so we want to examine the cause and effects of that. I think another helpful passage is 1 John 2. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. This kind of goes back to what, what worldly grief looks like. Um, if we're trying to get to what, what's the cause and effects of it. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here, Paul, or excuse me, John is saying that there's, there's two loves that are contrary to one another. Okay? You, you can't have the love of the Father and also the love of the world. Okay? They're, they're contrary. They're set against one another. And he's saying, hey, don't love the world. You can't have both. And so I think this worldly grief is, as I already mentioned, it's kind of according to the same worldly system, which that is what John is getting at here. Um, don't love the, the, what do you say, sinful, fallen system of the world, okay? And that spans all generations. Don't go after, be lured away, enticed by the world. And notice here, what I like about verse 16 is that it, it's self-centered, these types of, this worldly system, right? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are all according to the self, like what the self wants. I don't know if you guys know the Selena Gomez song, you know, the heart wants what it wants. It's like that, right? It's what I want, right? It's not a good song, um, but the title, the title fit the illustration, okay? Um, the heart's want, want, the heart wants what it wants, and we're just saying, oh, well, this is just what my heart wants. And so it's okay. I think that's worldliness. I think this worldly grief, um, should be some slides here. This worldly grief, I don't know if I have the next one. Here we go. Sorry. Yeah, the cause and effects. Um, I would say worldly desires being unmet. Okay. The cause of worldly grief is worldly desires being unmet. Desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. And so this is an expansive category. The ultimate cause of um, this worldly grief is the sinful desires of the self being unmet. Sinful desires, according to the worldly system, being unmet. What does this look like practically? Um, I think worldly grief is ever-increasing self-pity, right? It's ever-increasing poor me, pity, pity me, um, and it never moves past me. It's a man-centered grief. I've done something, or even someone has done something to me, I think, that's also true in here. That's caused myself loss, and that's why I'm sad. But you never move past just the sorrow of me. Does that make sense? It's self-centered grief. It never gets past I, and I think that's why at the root, it's pride. It's idolatry. It's a self-centered grief rather than a God-centered grief. Grief in accordance with God. And what's the ultimate outcome? What does the verse say? Death. Right? It's like, that's pretty bad. <laughs> All right? Like, I mean, that's, wow, okay, worldly grief leads to nothing good, right? Could not be more different from godly grief, right? Godly grief produces repentance, you know, and it leads to ultimately salvation and eternal life. Wow, that's great. That's what you want. And on the contrary, you have worldly grief producing death, right? So, I mean, this is, could not be more different. It brings despair, 
brings bitterness, never gets out of that. It drowns itself, as I already mentioned, in self-pity. And I do think Paul is speaking here of death. Um, ultimately, death on a spiritual level. Someone who never gets out of that. Yes, certainly, um, you know, physical death, but especially um, spiritual death, ultimately. And so, um, no, I don't have a slide for this. I think this is a, a helpful distinction. Um, I don't know if you want to write this in your notes. You don't have to. But I think we need to be careful with using language like repentance and remorse. I think there's a difference between the two. Repentance and remorse. Um, repentance is a genuine change of mind, right? It's a turning from, and it leads to salvation without regret. No desire to go back, right? It's moving forward. It's a complete 180 change of mind. It's eagerness to clear yourself, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7. Whereas I think remorse, on the contrary, it never gets past that grief, and it's self-centered. I think there's a, a semantic, difference, semantic difference between repentance and remorse, and so we need to be careful. Um, and I wanted to back this up because I think there's biblical examples of this. Peter and Judas. I think there's a big difference between Peter and Judas in terms of how they respond to their sin, right? You guys are familiar with Peter. Um, he denies Jesus three times, and Jesus has said before, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And then in Matthew 26, 75, it says that after this, Peter went out and wept bitterly, okay? So if, if that's where the story ended, we wouldn't know, like, like what happened to Peter? It's just he's, he's weeping bitterly. Is this genuine? Is this godly grief? Is this worldly grief? Um, and you see later on in John 21 that Peter is built back up. I think what he did experience was godly grief, right? Um, you know, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Three times, you know, I think directly, you know, shadowing the three times that Peter denied him. And Peter ends with, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you, okay? And so I think there is genuine godly grief that turns from his sin, you know, knows that what he did is wrong, and he's, you know, forgetting what lies behind, right? As Philippians 3, you know, Mark has been preaching on. He forgets what lies behind. He presses forward. I think that's genuine godly grief producing repentance without regret. But then Judas is different, right? Judas betrays Christ, and I think he's an example of worldly grief. And, and on this notion of repentance and remorse, I actually really like the Legacy Standard Bible, how they translate Matthew 27. It says, Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse. Okay? And I think there actually is significance in that language there, is that um, it does not lead to repentance, but actually this remorse, it doesn't move on from that. And that's evidenced by what? He commits suicide, right? Um, it's, it's a worldly grief. He never got past the regret. He never got past the guilt and the shame because of his sin. So I think that's a good illustration of the difference between the two. Um, another one would be the parable of the prodigal son, right? And what I mean here is just follow my train of thought, okay? You guys know um, the parable, right? He says, father, you know, he essentially wishes that his father is dead. Give me all that I want. He goes and blows his money um, and, you know, in a life of sin, it's terrible. He's feeding pigs. And in verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I think if the parable ended right here, that's an example of worldly grief, right? If it just ended right here, okay? So I'm reading into this a little bit. But if it's just there, I perish here with hunger. Pity, pity me. Oh, I'm in a terrible situation. If he never moves on past that, he probably will perish there with hunger, okay? But, I mean, praise be to God, we know how it continues, right? What does he say in the next verse? I will arise and go to my father, 
Okay? That's godly grief. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Okay? So I, I thought that was maybe a little bit different, but it illustrates, I think, the same thing. You see the difference between the two? Worldly grief, godly grief? I thought those examples might be, might be helpful. One last point on worldly grief. I do think sometimes that worldly grief um, can mask itself in godly Christian terms. I think this is where we need to be careful, um, is that sometimes, and I think this goes back to, you know, always needing to preach the gospel to ourselves, um, but if you have someone who's just stuck in this state of, yes, I know God is a great Savior, I know that, but you don't understand, like, my sin was beyond repulsive, you, you have no idea, like, it, the depth of my depravity was so wicked, okay, I know God is great, but, okay, I mean, ultimately, at its core, if they're, if they're resolute in the greatness of their sin, that's a sick, kind of weird, twisted form of pride, right? Like, your sin is greater than Christ is to save you from that sin, right? So I think we need to be careful that sometimes, we need to be aware that worldly grief can mask itself in Christian terms. And this is why it's always important to go back to um, the gospel, okay? So be cautious in this. Um, maybe, you know, you're stuck in this pit of introspection because you have a higher standard for yourself than God does. <laughs> um, you know, you have this, I think this even goes back to, you know, like the pride of life in First John 2. You have these goals of where you want to be in your Christian life, in growth. I'm never going to sin in this way ever, ever again. And then inevitably when that happens, right, like, and the Lord knows that, but because you have a prideful standard of yourself, you know, that leads to despair. Um, and maybe that leads to worldly grief that you can, can never get out of. So I, I think that's important, is realize that sometimes worldly grief can, can mask itself in godly terms. So it goes back to this. Will you either, you know, wallow in self-pity? Will you stay there? Will you be stuck in a place that's leading to death? Or will you acknowledge your sin, go to the Lord, you know, like the prodigal son, Father, I've sinned against you. And, I mean, the, the, the Father's embrace there is so beautiful, right? There's not a moment of hesitation when there's genuine repentance, genuine coming back to the Father. The Father is not disappointed in him coming back at all. It's because he loves his son. And I think it's the exact same thing in the Christian life um, with our Savior. So just in summary, just in summary here, godly grief, worldly grief, um, I thought this was helpful in kind of summarizing the last couple weeks and also going back to week one. Um, maybe if you remember there, I mentioned the difference between self-examination and introspection. You kind of have to be careful when you're reading books because sometimes they'll define their terms a little differently. I think it's helpful to do this, okay, because the Bible uses language of self-examination. It doesn't use language of introspection, okay? So I would say godly grief is self-examination. We ought to examine ourselves. I think that includes asking questions of ourselves, right? So we're examining ourselves, we're asking questions, God the grief always produces that repentance without regret, okay? So you have that on one side. Contrary to worldly grief, okay? I would argue that's kind of that introspection that never moves past the self, okay? And that's those condemning statements. You're pathetic, you're terrible, you know, you know God's grace is not great enough for you, right? I think that's worldly grief, never moves past self-pity, and it ends up producing death. Um, never moves past the self. Um, one last thing on this, and then I'll pause for some, some questions or comments if you guys want to talk about this. If you're helping someone who is maybe struggling in this area, or maybe you are, okay, um, but in particular, if you're helping someone 
and they're, they're stuck maybe somewhere in this area. I just say this, don't give up, okay? Um, it, it's very easy to, um, if it seems like there's a falling away, if it seems like there, there's no spiritual life within, um, they're just, they're, there's not much room for encouragement. Um, if that person at one point, you know, really did show signs of spiritual life, don't give up, okay? And the reason I say that, I was reading again in an in a Owen book, he gives a really, really good example um, of David, right? We know his son with Bathsheba, and he murdered Uriah, okay? In that moment, David did not show much uh, spiritual life, <laughs> okay? Like, he's sinning big time, okay? And so, in that moment, and again, we don't know how long that season lasted, probably until, you know, obviously until Nathan the prophet comes, but certainly, you know, even through um, when... Um, uh, Bathsheba gives birth to um, their child, right? Um, there's this period of grief. There's this period of where it didn't look like he had much spiritual life. And so I would just say, from what Owen says here, this was encouraging to me in terms of, again, counseling yourself or helping other people. I would not judge a person whom I've previously believed to possess spiritual life to be spiritually dead. Though presently I see him seemingly bereft or lacking, right? even though I see him seemingly lacking of all evidences of spiritual life. And the reason why I would so judge is this, because if you judge a person dead, you neglect him and leave him, okay? But if you judge him to be in a spiritual faint, right, he has stumbled, right? If you judge him to be in that type of condition, though this is a dangerous state, he's not denying that. He's saying, yet you will use all possible means to retrieve his life. So what we do to one another and to our own souls, okay? So... I, I just thought that was encouraging to me. So don't lose heart um, when you're helping someone. Um, keep persevering. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if they're stuck in, you think it's a, a sinful state of, of introspection, um, keep pressing on with them, okay? Fight the good fight with them, okay? If they have spiritual life, if they are in Christ, they will get out of it, okay? I mean, you can take that to the bank, okay? So know that none of your words are going to change them, but the words of the Holy Spirit in Scripture will. And so keep going through the Bible with them. Pray with them. Don't give up. Um, if they're a Christian, the Lord is going to, to bring them back. Okay? So that's kind of godly grief, worldly grief, dealing with sin that we started last week. I knew we weren't going to finish, so it kind of um, leapt over into this morning. Any questions on this? Godly grief, worldly grief. Jeff? Which book is that from? That is from um, Searching Our Hearts in Difficult Times. It's... It's kind of an interesting book um, because the first, like, I think there's like, there's two sections, okay? So the first, like, 15 uh, chapters are excellent. It's a Puritan paperback, so it's actually really thin, right? And, like, each chapter is, like, four pages, so you can read it really quick. Um, the first half is really cool because it's just questions from his congregation at Christ Church in Oxford asking him questions, like, how do we know that someone is... Um, you know, in a state of spiritual despair or something like that. And he's just going through questions. Then he gives like five pages of answers. It's super good. And then the second half of the book, I think they just, they needed something to like make the book a little bigger, is like, it's just kind of separate. It's like warning about like the end times. And it's good. It's like, I would say the first half of the book is like five stars out of five. And the second half is like, it's good, but it just doesn't fit with the first part. Um, yeah, so searching our hearts in difficult times. Super good. Super good. Charlie, you got a question? Yeah. Judas, when he um, betrayed Jesus, yes. that, 
could I put him in a class like uh, like crucifixion already? Because you know that he died for our sins. Right. Yeah. Everyone. Right. Yeah. With, with Judas, it's it's a really sad example, right? Um, because he betrays Jesus. Um, and it shows that he's grieved, he's sorrowful over what he's done, but we don't have any evidence in Scripture that there was godly grief, uh, a turning from that sin, but almost just a, he's so stuck in despair over what he's done um, that he goes out and himself. Because I had read the whole entire book about Esther and then how it wasn't done before it was hanged. Okay. Here, I'll tell you what, I'll talk about with, I'll, I'll, we'll talk after, okay? And, and we'll see if we can dive into that a little more. Anything else? Godly grief? Worldly grief? I answer every question? Wow. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. Okay. All right. If, yes. If you think it's helpful to the, if you think it's helpful to the group, by all means, by all means, ask. So I'm willing to spend a little bit of time on this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. No, it's true. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. All right, I mentioned that. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, I don't think Paul is just talking about physical despair and death. I think he's talking about ultimately. Colleen, yes. Yeah, there's a, there's a really good, we're going to look at, I think next week, um, this kind of extended quote and question Owen works through in communion with God. And someone, you know, it's basically the question of like, what? Like, are you saying we should daily go to the Lord with our sins and all this stuff? Like, are we not making a mockery of the cross? And his response is just excellent. It's gold. Okay. And so that's a preview of next week. It's, oh, well, I think next week. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Yes, Haley. Oh, yeah, you don't... How do we counsel for sure. through that conversation? Because we know that it's pride, yeah. but we also run the risk of, like, throwing them over the Yeah, yeah, yeah. By saying, like, you're even more simple than you think you right, are. Right, right. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think it differs case by case. Um, I think, well, I mean, obviously a lot of prayer and scripture, but showing the, um, showing that sin is primarily an offense to God, okay, because I think sometimes it can be um, a, a self-centered grief over sin and what it's done to me and what it's done to others, and realizing, hey, sin ultimately always, always an offense, is an offense to God, okay? So like Psalm 51 is a great example. David's repentance of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. He says, against you, you only have I sinned. And all of us are like, what are you talking about? Like, dude, this is what you did with Bathsheba and Uriah. Like, what's going on here? And I think he has a godly grief. He understands that his sin is an affront to God. That is the one you have sinned against. And so I think you start there. You're showing the sinfulness of sin as it's an affront to God. You show, you know, those passages like Romans 3 and you just go through how horrible sin is. Um, and I think the reason why you do that is because you need to help them realize that their sin problem is ultimately with God. And so you go to that, show them their sin, and show how God has in his grace atoned for that sin, okay? Um, in terms of, yeah, you don't want to throw them into, yeah, you're actually, you know, super prideful, um, even in your, in your grief and your repentance. So I think you're gentle, you're, you're cautious, you're patient with showing them. I, I think you really have to show them the beauty of the person of Christ. You really have to go there. You really have to start there. Um, but I think maybe getting them to see their sin in relation to God um, is important. Does that help? I, it, it's, it's a hard question because it differs case by case. And yeah, you certainly don't want to push them even further into thinking, wow, I'm even... Sometimes you do. We do need to realize that we're worse than we actually think we are. If they're already in that state where I'm so terrible, I'm so terrible, I'm so terrible. Well, that's when you go to like, yeah, but your worth is not found in who you are. Your worth is found in relation to who you are in Christ. Apart from Christ, you are worthless. <laughs> but in him, you have worth, not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is. Okay, That's where your worth is found, in him, not in yourself. So... Yeah. Yeah. Right. That kind of leads down a path of like, wow, let's exalt Christ yeah. instead of exalting ourselves. Yep. It's good. 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 So, God degree, worldly grief, dealing with sin. Summing that up, turning kind of a a page here. Introspection to Christospection, which that's a made-up word, yes. But I stole it from that Mellinger book. He has a chapter on that, and I think it's a good, it's a good title. Um, I mean, even this is related to dealing with sin. Um, it, I mean, it's all related. I don't know if you guys have noticed that in this class. It's all, it all fits together. Um, but I think this is where we need to go next. Maybe you remember that quote from Spurgeon from week one. You know, he's like, too many spend too much time thinking about themselves. They wound themselves with this thought, this thought, all this stuff. And he ends by just saying, um, forget yourself and think only of Christ. Stop thinking about yourself. You need to think of Christ. And so, Haley, I think this is what you do. You need to stop thinking about yourself. Think about Christ. Mellinger, he says, go to Christ, behold his glory. Let self-absorption give way to Christ-absorption, right? Be so focused on him. So godly grief, I think causes us to look to Christ. That's what godly grief does. It looks to him, never leaves us alone with our sin. 
It gets us to Christ, gets our eyes off of ourselves. Much like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress. I love this scene in Pilgrim's Progress and this art here, right? You know, uh, Christian, he's struggling with this burden, and people will debate whether, you know, in Bunyan's theology, is this actually when, Bunyan, when uh, Christian is saved, or is this dealing with assurance of salvation? I don't have a huge dog in the fight, but I think it's dealing with assurance of salvation because he's on the narrow path when he enters through the wicked gate, signifying that he's saved. And so I think here, it's actually a really powerful illustration of how do we gain assurance in the Christian life? How do we continue to press on and grow? Is by gain, gazing at the cross, gazing at Christ continually, not just a one-time thing, right? It's a continual uh, looking to Christ and not looking to your burden, right? So if you have this burden of introspection, blah, 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 stop thinking about your burden. You need to go to the cross. You need to go to Christ. Don't sit there um, with your burden. And so um, we've only got a couple minutes here, so I just want to make one point real briefly um, and kind of maybe leave this into next week. Um, I would just say this. The Lord uses a variety of means in our growth in godliness, okay? That's kind of this first point I want to make. The Lord uses a variety of means in our growth in godliness, okay? It is not a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter, here's exactly how everyone looks the same, okay? The Lord uses a variety of means. We're all in process, and so sometimes sanctification, um, you know, will look different for each person in the sense of, you know, maybe it's, it's more painful depending on uh, your past, or maybe because of some sin, this growth in godliness might be a little more painful. But I think this is important. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is God's will. He's going to bring this about. This is what he wants you to do, and he's going to give you the means to bring it about. God's will for us is not that we would be happy, it's that we'd be holy, okay? Um, Now, I would say in a holy life, there's great joy to be found, um, but oftentimes we just think that, you know, the Lord's going to give us a happy life. We're not going to have any problems, no difficult moments. Self-examination that the Bible calls us to, right? Those honest moments of self-examination typically are not happy moments, but they, are, they should be holy moments, right? Causing you to go back to Christ. And ultimately, this work of salvation, or excuse me, sanctification, well, and salvation, but sanctification is a work of Christ. Even he does this, right? This isn't something where it's, you know, sanctification is your side of salvation where you've got to play this out and it's all you. Well, it's true. You have a responsibility. God calls us to be godly, but he is the one even providing the means for us to be godly, right? I love this. 1 Corinthians 1.30. Because of him, God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus. We talked about union with Christ. So important. Everything that we have is found in him who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So everything we have is in Christ. And that's why in the next verse, Paul talks about how we have no room for boasting because none of it is ultimately from us. And so God is going to do this work of sanctification. Um, He's sanctifying us. And I'm just going to end with um, the next passage here, Hebrews 12, and you guys are dismissed. Um, But we need to realize that because this sovereign God is sanctifying us, everything we do in life ultimately has meaning. It has a purpose, okay? There's no useless, wasted moments in God's providence in your life, okay? He is sovereignly working his will of sanctification, especially in light of sin, in light of godly grief. God is using that. Hebrews 12 is a great reminder of this, okay? Hebrews 12, and have you forgotten, 
the exhortation that addresses you as sons, right? If we have been adopted into the family of God, we are children of God, we are sons of God, heirs with Christ. If that's true, and the scripture addresses you as sons, which it does, he's quoting from the Old Testament, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. That's not good if you're not being disciplined. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. In other words, they were always, you know, as it seemed best to them. I mean, some of us had great godly fathers, other of us had sinful fathers, okay? He's talking about, you know, a good example of a godly father. But even then, they fell short. But listen to this. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the purpose of all of this, maybe even this painful moment of self-examination, this turning from sin, even in that, what's the purpose for all of it? that we may share in his holiness, right? He's calling and causing us to be holy. And this is what, you know, generally speaking, godly parents should be doing for their children, right? You're correcting them. You're training them. You're raising them up for the purpose of improving them, right? I mean, I hope none of us are disciplining our children just for the sake of disciplining them and we're just angry at them, right? There's always a purpose behind the correction, right? Like, I'm correcting you, you're getting disciplined, you're getting a consequence, a repercussion, because I want you to change and do X, Y, or Z, right? That's what's going on. Well, it's the same with God. There's a why behind the what of the discipline, right? There's a purpose for the discipline. And the same is true with the Lord. I I like this verse 11, right? Later, it yields a peaceful food of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's not instant gratification, Like, in the moment, that discipline, that, you know, repercussion or whatever is painful, but later. And so we need to have that long view in mind um, when it deals with, um, you know, godly grief and, you know, how the Lord reveals our sin to us. And so I'm going to pause there um, because I'm already a couple minutes over. But this is kind of, you know, this this introduction to um, not gazing at ourselves, but gazing at Christ. I think we have to start with that principle um, is that the, the Lord uses a variety of means, okay? And godly grief is one of those means. That in godly grief, the design of that is that we would look to Christ, okay? And so, no, sin is not good, but don't waste your sin, right? Instead of you know, worldly grief, have godly grief over your sin and go to Christ, right? Oftentimes, you know, these, these difficult times are actually the Lord using them to get us to focus on him. And so that's kind of the introduction here. We'll pick up here Hebrews 12 and look to um, Hebrews 5. And we'll get into some really, really encouraging stuff, I hope, next week. All right, you're dismissed.